Well, hello and welcome back to In the Growth Space. I'm David McGlennon, your growth coach and host. I'm so excited that you've come back and, and are listening in uh, to this episode, episode eight already. Pretty amazing. Thanks so much for tuning in and subscribing and giving me all the five-star reviews. I've really appreciated the feedback. Uh, it, it really means a lot to me because it helps me to know that I'm, I'm accomplishing my mission. I'm, I'm reaching people to help them to grow so that they can help their teams and their companies grow. This episode is a, a great conversation. I have another guest on today, and I'm really excited to bring Dr. Rosie Ward on this podcast episode. Now, she doesn't realize it, but she's been a part of my growth journey. Uh, you know, as I came out of the wellness and well-being and, and, and culture space, uh, I, I really had a, a mindset shift, and, and she's helped me to begin thinking differently about culture and about well-being. And, and so um, she, she's been very impactful in my own growth journey. And so I'm really excited to have her on this episode. You know, she has her own podcast. We talked briefly about it, but on that podcast, she recently interviewed Bob Chapman, one of my heroes. And, and actually, you hear me uh, quote him on episode three. Um, and, and she... Um, She's just a rock star. Uh, she talks a lot about her own growth journey and her own evolution. And we also talk about her new book called Rehumanizing the Workplace. And um, she discusses the five keys to rehumanizing the workplace. So be sure to pay attention to, to that and to the, the, those five keys. We also um, talk about um, the imposter experience or imposter syndrome. She coaches world-renowned surgeons, and she shares that they experience it too. Even though these people who are peak performers, they're, they're, they're the top in their industry, they experience this imposter experience too. But she really gives some great advice on how to not get hijacked by it. So now before we get into the episode, let me just throw some questions for your subconscious mind to work on while you listen to this episode. And, and some of these questions will be meaning more as you go through the episode. But just for now, think about these questions. In what ways are you being responsible for the culture of your team? What behaviors do you need for your own lighthouse? How do you need to create a fearless environment? Are you tapping out when you wade into the messy middle? How are you showing up as a leader every day? And who's your tribe? Who are the people who have your back? Just allow your subconscious mind to, to think on these questions as you listen to this episode and this conversation with Dr. Rosie Ward. Enjoy. Well, I'm so excited today to be talking to my guest, Rosie Ward, and uh, I've followed her uh, for a long time on LinkedIn. Uh, she's been a part of uh, the, the wellness, the well-being culture, and, and, and now um, her, her world has expanded a whole lot. And, and really, as I've watched her journey, I wanted to be able to have her on because she truly has uh, been in the growth space, and it's been really cool to watch. And uh, Rosie, welcome to In the Growth Space. I'm so excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. 
Yeah. Well, and it's interesting. I know that you just started a podcast and it's uh, it's called Show Up as a Leader podcast. And I, I listened uh, to the first couple of ep- episodes and it's fantastic. And Thank so for the, yeah, for those of you who are, are listening, you got to go out and check this, uh, this podcast out because uh, in her second episode, she has like a hero of mine on, Bob Chapman. As a matter of fact, if you've been listening to this podcast, you've also heard me quote Bob Chapman. Um, I think it's in episode three. So um, go go give this a lesson. She's uh, a listen. She's got some great uh, great guests, and uh, so I'm excited to to have you here. Uh, why don't we just start with you know talking about your own growth journey? Like, how did you get to where you are today? And I and I know that you've had a lot of uh, education, a lot of uh, learning. Talk a little bit about that. Yeah, I would say that uh, my journey has been probably not traditional and with uh, without a lot of bumps and bruises. I mean, I've had a lot of bumps and bruises along the way. I think that for me, as I think about my growth journey, there's the, I can talk more details, but I think the overarching theme is that I, for whatever reason, at an early age, trusted my gut and listened to my gut and had this thought of like, I don't really know what the heck this is going to look like. And I don't really know the details, but I'm, I'm going to go check this out and I'm going to go do this. And I feel like that is the story of my, my career and it has, it has served me well. And I think that sometimes we don't listen to that inner voice or we get Mm -hmm. out of touch or we get stuck in shoulds or whatever, versus really, really being open to what might be next. And so I actually started out, ironically, I was going to be a psychology major as an undergrad. Um, My mom's a psychologist. I thought, oh, I'll follow in her footsteps. And I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't like, Ooh, that lights me up. I didn't really have anything that lit me up. Um, at the time I was teaching group fitness classes on the side for something fun, but I was like, that's not a career in my mind. Like I was like, that's not what I want to do. And you have to get continuing education credits. And I went to my first fitness convention in Chicago. I live in Minneapolis. So I drove there and I remember being like a sponge (laughs) and I just like, I don't know, I'm dating myself, but this was back when like ESPN fitness pros were a big deal. And like (laughs) Jim Miller from step Reebok. And I was like, Oh my God, my heroes. Right. Yeah. So I'm like a sponge wanting to learn everything I possibly could. And I was Mm. like, Oh, wow. And I remember I was driving back to Minneapolis from Chicago and I was somewhere in the middle of Wisconsin, which is where all great epiphanies happen. (laughs) (laughs) And, and I had this thought of, I'm going to do that Sunday. And I didn't really know what that was, but I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm going to do that. Like, like I'm going to do that. And so I was like, okay, well, I got to figure out what the heck that means. And so I ended up starting to explore what would undergraduate majors look like that would support whatever that was. And I came across kinesiology and I was like, well, that seems to make sense. I kind of need to learn about exercise science. I had to do that to get certified as a group fitness instructor and learn some about anatomy, but I'm like, oh, I got to learn more about it. Um, so I ended up changing, switching schools when I was a senior, my parents are, were a little confused and you're doing what, but again, that was, I, I kind of followed that gut of, I don't know what that is, but I'm going to do some research and figure out what, what's, what's the next path forward. And then as I was working on my new undergrad in kinesiology, then I ended up having to work part-time and go part-time because that's just how life goes. And I started then doing uh, personal training on the side, but it was really more almost like lifestyle counseling, right? And then Mm. I got introduced to um, uh, the the world of landmark education, which uh, was just another way to look at yourself. And so I was always kind of into self-improvement, self kind of help stuff anyway. 
And then what was interesting is um, I had a thought about becoming a landmark forum leader, but I was mm-hmm. like, that's volunteer and it's a lot of work. And I don't know. Yeah. And so then you fast forward and I was working in corporate wellness, corporate fitness. I was contracted at a vendor. And then eventually I got my master's degree. Um, and again, it was more of, I knew that I needed more education. I probably got the wrong degree because in my public health, um, master's degree, my favorite class was management leadership and healthcare. Cause I was a new leader and I sucked at it. I, I had nobody to develop me. I didn't know what the hell I was doing. Yeah. <laughs> I think back, I'm like, oh, those poor people. Oh my God. But, um, but you learn from your, your missteps Absolutely. and I read every book I could get my hand hands on. And, and I talk about this a lot in our book, but I was transported for the first time when I got my master's degree, I decided to go work in public health. And it was the first time that I was in a toxic work environment. And I saw what it did to me personally. It eroded my well-being and on multiple levels. Mm -hmm. And that was kind of my next epiphany, I feel like, where I thought, no wonder why what we're doing in the name of worksite well-being doesn't work. If you take someone who has two degrees and is knowledgeable and can get the wellness sucked out of them, Right. Like we have a problem. Mm-hmm. So I sat there and I thought, okay, because I remember I had this disheartening feeling that I had just spent 80 grand on <laughs> two degrees and this stuff didn't work, which is why I left corporate wellness. Yeah. And so I sat there and again, I think this was like me kind of listening to my, my voice. And I thought, you know, I probably need to look at some more education. Mm. And so when I was looking at PhD programs, I started looking at organizational leadership, organizational development. I knew that it wasn't business, but I needed to look at, at first I was looking for MBAs and then I was like, well, that's not really a fit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I came upon organization management, decided to start to pursue my PhD and look at it in a different lens. And while doing that, I was really fortunate to get a position at a natural healthcare university that let me play. And so they let me oh, start nice. to kind of figure out this intersection of, of well-being and culture. And I knew yeah. that like what we were doing didn't work but I didn't know what worked, but they, they're, they're an institution that does research. So they let yeah. me kind of right play and figure it out. And then at the same time, I went to my first wellness conference and I had met this woman, Jackie Bridal Dietrich, an amazing, amazing coach, amazing woman. And she told me that she became a coach. This was like in 2004. I'm like, what the heck's a coach? And so I started learning about the professional world of coaching and I started exploring that. And so I remember I called up my husband from like, this is like epiphany number three. I called him up from that conference and I said, Hey honey, I want to be a coach. I don't know what that means, but I'm just <laughs> telling you. And he's like, what? Like, you know, like, what is that? Yeah. What, what am I gonna do with you? Anyway, no, um, he's very supportive, <laughs> but um, yeah. So anyway, and then like, as I was in my PhD program, I remember, I remember feeling like the odd person out. Cause I'm with VPs of HR for Boeing and these major organizations. And my narrative is I'm just this fitness chick who like, <laughs> you know, but like, I, I, I have this knack of seeing how you connect the dots with all these different areas. So anyway, so my doctoral research was really looking at this intersection of, of kind of coaching and shifting people's mindset with, with culture and with well-being. And it was really kind of looking at all that. And I started to kind of create my, my niche, I guess, so to speak, but then you need someone who's going to let you play. And so I think that, um, uh, so I got recruited out of the university for a consulting firm for several years. Again, was able to play for a while. That turned toxic. That was my second toxic workplace experience. Mm. I write about that in the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it really made me passionate about what happens when workplaces get dehumanized and yeah. the ripple effect that it mm. has. And 
and I, and, um, that experience actually lit a fire under me of, Mm. you know, I'm going to a prove them wrong. Um, and B like this, this wasn't going to be for nothing. Um, and that really then helped me, um, launch what we're doing now with Salveo partners and, you know, writing two books and podcasts and stuff. And I think I'm just a work in progress. So I, I continued to get additional coaching training and certifications. Um, I became, I, I was so fortunate to be one of the group of people that Brene Brown selected in 2019 to spend yeah, three days amazing. with her and become a certified dare to leap facilitator. I'm constantly learning about myself through that work. I feel like yeah. I'm never done. Sure. Um, but yeah, it's just been this, like having these moments probably of pain, honestly, um, having an epiphany, having the courage to go, I don't know what the hell this looks like. And I might be completely crazy, but I'm going to go there. And if you would have told me that I'd be doing now, even like five years ago, I'd be like, huh? Um, I just, I'm open to it evolving, I guess. So that's my long winded journey. (laughs) Yeah, no, I love it. Well, it sounds too like you, you have been um, used to getting outside of your comfort zone and really being able to kind of feel, feel yourself in that place where, and I know on your podcast, you call it the messy middle and it's really being able to get outside of what you feel like is the status quo and our, maybe our programming and to be able to like be in that space. I mean, I mean, is that, is, would you categorize it the same way? Yeah, I would. I think that, um, the messy middle is not comfortable by any means, no, but you know, no. what's, what's the famous saying that growth doesn't happen within our comfort zone. It happens yeah. at the edge of it. And I feel yeah. like whether it's a blessing or a curse, I do feel like, like I have ability to kind of see how something could look and, or see what's possible. And sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm not, but I, but um, I, I just, I kind of go for it. I, and I don't, I wouldn't say that I take, I, I, the funny thing is I would say I'm fairly risk averse. Okay. Um, but I feel like when I can see a connection or I can see something so clearly, I can figure out a way to get closer to that or do that. But there's, there's pain, there's discomfort. Yeah. There's ugh, like that, that yeah. voice of, oh my God, is this going to fail? Oh my gosh, what did I just do? Yeah. Like, is anyone going to listen to this? Is anyone going to listen to me? Did I just waste months of my life? I mean, that's a narrative that that happens, but there's something bigger and that, that that power of purpose or that power of vision or whatever that helps me navigate that messy middle, uncomfortable space. Um, but it's always there. And I feel like, but I feel alive when I'm in that space. Brene calls it being in the arena. Like I want to be in the arena. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'm, I'm glad you brought that up and I'm glad you, you, you talked about that because um, so one of the, one of the pieces of work that I do is I have an emerging leader, I call it the emerging leader inner circle, but it's an emerging leader group. And um, we've talked a lot about being in that space and, and being able, and, and those, that narrative that comes up, you know, Hey, who are you? What, who are you to be doing this? That, that imposter syndrome or an imposter experiences Amy Cuddy talks about. And, and I think that I just want to be able to share to them because they'll probably be listening to this, that everybody, everybody gets in this space. And when we get mm-hmm. in this growth space, when we get in this place where we're, we're growing outside of our comfort zone, we have those, we have those thoughts and they just, we just have, so how do you like squash those thoughts? How do you, uh, are, are you aware of it when you, when it's happening? How do you, how do you get past that? That's a great question. And I will say, especially for emerging leaders, it is a universal human experience to yeah. have those not enough thoughts. And yeah. I will tell you, I coach world-renowned surgeons. I coach people at the top of their game and they have imposter syndrome. Yeah. And so it's, I think that 
recognizing a, it's a universal human experience. Right. And so I would say for that, it also helps me when I'm having my own to kind of go, Oh, congratulate yourself on being human. Here we go. I'm part of the, I'm part of the club. Right. (laughs) And I, I think that you have to do you have to do some work to start to pay attention to yourself and pay attention to when that narrative shows up. Because I will tell you, it used to hijack me Mm -hmm. until I recognized that, oh, that's what was going on. And so I talk a lot in our book and I'm a huge fan and advocate of Bob Keegan and Lisa Leahy's immunity to change work. And Mm -hmm. really that helps us identify that inner narrative, that filter that we created when we were in our first 15 years of our life, because we didn't fit in, we didn't belong, whatever it is, that is really the result of us self-protecting or putting our armor on. And I think once we recognize what those assumptions are and we do the work to kind of move past them, I can go, Oh, that's just my big assumption. Oh, that's my five-year-old self. Um, I'm 46 now. Like, you know, can, you know, hello, I'm not five years old anymore. Right. Right. But, but when we're hijacked by it, when we're hooked by emotion, we don't see it. And so I will Mm -hmm. say for me, I have a lot of practices. So some of them I pull from my immunity to change coaching. Some I pull from other work. Some I pull from uh, dare to lead. One of the things that I've been sitting with that I've been talking with folks based on Brene's work is saying, you know, when we, when we show up and we enter the arena, when Mm -hmm. we are, when we are trying to live boldly and courageously, we don't go into the arena naked. We, we, we take, we take, we take things with us. And one of the things we take is our core values. So I, there's a great exercise in the dare to lead book we bring people through as well. But when I did the work to clarify my core values, cause I'd done my why work, but when yeah. I did my core values and go, how do I behave mm-hmm. when I'm in alignment and how do I behave when I'm not? And what are early warning signs that I'm getting out of alignment? That has been a game changer for me. Yeah. I mean, I literally have it hanging up here on my desk and I ground myself in it whenever I have to go into the messy middle, whenever yes. I have to have a difficult conversation. And so it grounds me of this is who I am when I'm at my best and I'm in mm-hmm. integrity. And mm-hmm. so how do I want to show up here? And so that helps me breathe and, and be calm. Yeah. Um, the other thing is, you know, there's, there's what she calls rumble skills and we replace our armor with grounded confidence. So I have learned to lean into curiosity. So when I notice mm. that I'm feeling anxious, I can, you know, try to squelch it or get hijacked by it or go, okay, I'm feeling anxious. Where's that coming from? So for me, it's leaning, it's grounding myself in my core values. And then it's really a practice of pausing and leaning into curiosity. Like, why am I feeling this way in this situation? Or does that narrative I'm telling myself really make sense? Do I Mm -hmm. think they hate me? Um, Or, you know, do I think I suck because one person gave me difficult feedback? Mm -hmm. So it's putting yourself in check um, so it's pausing, it's being curious and it's grounding myself in my values. I think that those are the practices that, um, that certainly help me. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's amazing. Um, great, uh, great advice. I, I love those. I, I love those steps. Um, let's, let's transition a little bit to talk about, um, your book, Rehumanizing the Workplace, because, um, is a number of people who have either listened to this or who know me, I, I, I love workplace culture. I love being able to, to help organizations um, really rehumanize and, and, and get better uh, because I know that we can do better. Um, what was the, what was the kind of the impetus for you writing this book? And then I want to talk about your, your five keys to rehumanize the workplace. It started because we wrote our first book, which is crazy to think it's been five years by now, but how to build a thriving culture at work. And Mm -hmm. so many people sent us pictures with it highlighted and tabbed, just like you and I like to read (laughs) and saying, this is my workplace Bible. And thank you for that. And we developed a training based off of it and really trying to help. It's kind of like help more people do what we do because 
the world needs it. And so much happened since we wrote that book. Mm -hmm. We started to be um, more involved with conscious capitalism. We started to learn about uh, like Brene Brown's Dare to Lead work came out. Bob Chapman's work. I mean, so Mm -hmm. much happened between that book, like even in like two years after that book came out and we were adding that into our training program. Mm. And I had this thought of, we need to write another book. And we were doing some really incredible work with organizations that I was like, gosh, like we, we have stories to tell. And then I started to really think about, there are so many small to mid-sized companies that don't get the glory of the conscious capitalism traditional yeah. companies, right? Because they're not these fortune 500 companies right. and, but they're doing some really amazing work and the majority of businesses are in that small to mid-sized space. Right. So can we, can, and we work with a lot of those, can we feature those in our book? So it started as this, we have more to say, we mm-hmm. have more to do mm-hmm. and building a thriving workplace culture is a foundational item, mm-hmm. but that was, that was um, being safe mm-hmm. because to rehumanize the workplace is like a whole other level. Yeah. And I think, you know, Jeffrey Pfeffer's research was coming out about just how workplaces are killing us. And we just started to see like, this has to go beyond having a thriving culture. That's the, that's the starting point. That's the mm-hmm. bare bones. That's, yeah. that's the bar, which yeah. is important. But this is, does everybody feel like they matter as a human being? Does everybody mm-hmm. feel like they can show up at work, whether they're literally physically showing up to work or in a virtual environment, but they can yeah. show up in their work life and not armor up and, and be a better, better person. And, and the other impetus behind this book was that we had been doing work that started as an experiment that mm. was a game changer and eye opener for me. And it was, I always thought cultures at the top and you look at, you look at the conscious capitalism, they always talk about the CEOs and CEOs, you know, guide the culture. And that's true. Yeah. But if you look at Amy Edmondson's research on psychological safety and others, mm-hmm. culture is ultimately built team by team. Right. And there's many subcultures within an organization. And we started out doing work by fluke with a team that was struggling. Okay. And they were like, can you help us? Like morale is low and turnover. And so I just started putting all the tools together in my toolbox that I had been using in workshops and coaching or whatever and said, okay, let's put together something that might help this team. And it was start with self-awareness, help them do the messy middle work, help them learn to listen and communicate, help them collectively vision a better future. Like it was kind of this, this process mm-hmm. and it started to make a difference. Mm-hmm. And then another team was like, well, how, how, how can we, how can we get that? And how, yeah. and so it went through evolution of evolution and, and adding content and take right. You, you learn as you go. And we're on version probably 500 or whatever, right now we talk <laughs> yeah. about it in the book, but why I share that is that I was like, oh my gosh, you can transform workplace culture one team at a time. Mm-hmm. And the whole premise behind the work we're doing with teams is the name of my podcast is to show up as a leader, that leadership isn't a behavior or that leadership is a behavior. Yeah, It's, it's not, not a, title. a title or a role. Yeah. Right. And then as we train people through our uh, thriving workplace culture program, we call that community of graduates, our paradigm pioneer community. Okay. And I would hear from some of them. They're like, Rosie, this is great. This is awesome. But like you have a PhD in organization and management, you have books published, people listen to you. And then this would be the self-limiting dialogue. I'm just a wellness person, or I'm just an HR person, or I'm just a somebody. And I was like, "Eh, eh, eh." you're not just, right? Yeah, I was just going to say, cut the just out. (laughs) Yeah, cut the just, like get it out of our language, right? Right, right. And they would say things like, I don't have access to the C-suite, or people aren't going to listen to me. And it was a lot of self-limiting, like I can't make the impact like 
mm-hmm. you can, or you, or your company can, because of all these reasons. And I was like, that's BS. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm calling BS on. Yeah. Right. And so, so the whole impetus behind the book was like, it, it was really came from our community and the work we're doing is like, can we help people see that workplace culture is really built one team at a time? Mm-hmm. And can we equip people with kind of our secret sauce tools that we do, we've been doing forever that make a huge difference in that space, helping people show up better and, and help people see that regardless of your title or role, you have the opportunity to lead and influence positive change and have a ripple mm-hmm. effect around you. It's like grassroots organizing. And so I might just be on a team, but maybe if I put some of these principles into practice or, or use some of these exercises with my team members, we start to create a better culture because culture is everybody's responsibility. And so that was really the premise behind the book of that culture transformation is possible. Mm-hmm. We can rehumanize the workplace. It doesn't have to start at the C-suite and that everybody has an opportunity to lead and influence positive change and show up as a leader. And so mm-hmm. that's kind of how it morphed. And we're like, we got We have more work to do and we can help people. And that, yeah. that was why we wrote the book. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. So um, talk about the five keys to rehumanizing the workplace, because I I, I love these. And um, I, I just I, I think that each one of these points has such um, power in it. And so, just, yeah, just kind of walk through, walk us through that, if you wouldn't mind. Absolutely. So I'm a big metaphor person. I think people can kind of kind of relate to that. And I will yeah. say that when we talk about these five rehumanizing principles, while the book is focused on the workplace. What I realized is that these are principles that are relevant, whether you're talking about your team at work, but it also could be your family. Yeah. It could be a sports team, a community mm-hmm. team. I mean, this is really anytime you've got people. Groups of people. Yeah, exactly. This applies. And it even can apply to us as individuals. And so mm-hmm. it has really broader. So the first is what we call build a lighthouse. If you think about what a lighthouse does, it cuts through the fog. There might be Mm -hmm. stormy, dark waters, but it helps the ships know where to go. And so we look at build a lighthouse as a combination of two things. One, it's clarity of purpose. Mm -hmm. So this is where Simon Sinek, find your why, or Pat Lencioni's, you know, why do we exist work comes in. And an individual level too, like what's my purpose, right? What's Mm -hmm. my calling? But if we have clarity of purpose... And we have also then done the work to operationalize our values. So on an organizational level and an individual level, we've defined clear behaviors, not just concepts. Yep. And those behavioral anchors of how we need to show up for that purpose to be realized, that provides groundedness and calm in the midst of the chaotic storm, certainly of 2020 and beyond, Mm. right? It's like, it doesn't mean there's not uncertainty and fear and disruption, but it helps me find a path forward. And you look at all of the amazing individuals and businesses Mm. that have successfully pivoted in 2020. Yeah, It's been because they've had that lighthouse, right? And, And it's like, nope. Like even honestly, me doing the podcast was a pivot of, um, I'm not keynoting conferences because yeah. conferences have all been canceled. And how do you get your message out there? And how do you inspire people? And how do mm-hmm. you help them think differently? Yeah. Well, okay, you know, here's another yes. way. I mean, right? So, absolutely. So that that that's the build the lighthouse. And so we talk about how you can kind of do that work, and and, and it helps. It, it again, it helps ground us. Then the second rehumanizing principle is create fearless environments. So this is really where psychological safety comes into play. We have to create environments where people can speak up, meaning Mm -hmm. I can say, I need help. 
I can say I'm struggling. I can say, Hey, I have an idea. Like we need everybody right now to be sharing their ideas because we haven't been here before. We haven't been through pandemics. We haven't dealt with a lot of this stuff. So if people are holding back, if people are armoring up, Mm-hmm. you can't have an effective team. So you can't do that in a family. You can't do that in a friendship, mm-hmm. right? So so it's how do we create these fearless environments where people feel safe to yeah. take those interpersonal risks and yeah. and we and not be armored up to enter into that arena. Yeah. Then, then rehumanizing principle number three is show up as a leader. Mm-hmm. And again, going back to that, we look at leadership as being a behavior We also Mm -hmm. define leadership as kind of twofold. We define leadership as maximizing our positive impact on the world by becoming our best fully authentic selves Mm -hmm. and supporting those around us to break past barriers and step into their greatness. So, so, um, so showing up as a leader is, is really about, I've got to do work to be able to show up as my authentic self. Mm-hmm. And to call those around me to greatness. Actually, that's rehumanizing principle number four. I skipped ahead because rehumanizing mm-hmm. principle number three is wait in the messy middle. middle <laughs> like yeah, I got so ahead of myself. That's okay. That's there all right. we go. Yeah. I'm human. I love yes, it. Yes, so, I love it. Yes. So yeah. yeah. So so that's principle four, and you can't do that without principle three, which is wait in the messy middle. And that's what yeah. we've been talking about. It's recognizing yeah. that there is not a fast forward button when it comes to growth, change, and development. Yeah. That it's gonna get uncomfortable. It's gonna get cringy. But mm-hmm. we can't tap out when things get hard, and right. we've got to we've got to look at ourselves. We've got to do the work to shift our inner narrative, shift our mindset that has us self-protecting, armoring up, playing it safe and small, right? Mm -hmm. All of those. And it's really hard to wait in the messy middle if you don't have a fearless environment to do that in. Yeah, no doubt about it. Well, and and I think that's, that's one of the things that I love about Brene Brown's work is, you know, and she uses the, um, the, the, uh, Theodore Roosevelt, uh, or I'm sorry, the, yeah, yeah. Yeah. The man man in the the arena quote. Man in the arena quote. Yeah. I love that quote. And I, and I love the imagery that at least it conjures up in my mind of just being able to be willing to get in the arena, you know, and, and be sweaty and be dirty and like, I'm doing the work. And and I think that that's, that's the cool part. And I think that that really being able to be willing to be in that messy middle, to be that leader, um, is it, it, I, I mean, that's truly the work I think that will help. And it's, I, I know it's number, number three here. Um, but to me, that seems like it's pivotal. And, and like you said too, you, you know, we can't do it without creating a fearless environment. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Well, and, it, and I would say it, it, it is the, I mean, they all go hand in hand, right? They, yeah. They're, they're all interconnected. And I would say that it becomes easier to wait in the messy middle, if you've got that lighthouse, like this is yeah, why sure. I'm doing that. Right. So, right. I mean, they, they all feed off each other yeah. and then, yeah. And so then if you look at, so then if we piggyback on that and go back to uh rehumanizing principle number four, for a second, show up as a leader, it's, it's hard to do that if we haven't waited in the messy middle, but then it goes back to like, if I look at what's happening in our world, we can't sit back and wait for someone quote unquote, more qualified yeah. to to share their ideas, fix the problem. We really need everybody to start showing up as leaders in their lives, both at work and at home and in their communities. And so, so that's where that comes into play. And then that really feeds well into the the fifth principle, which we say, find your tribe. And, and I, what's interesting about this one is I always get asked this question. So I want to proactively address it. We went round and round about is this build community? Is this fine? Like, what is this? Mm-hmm. And I think shorthand, you go, Ooh, what are you just finding people that are like you? No. But what's interesting is if you go back to the actual definition 
right? Because we're big on language and the words we use. If you go back to the yeah. definition of tribe, it's a group of people that has each other's backs, uh, yeah. right? And it's a, it's a social connection. And and yeah. and when we talk about a tribal mentality, that starts to get where now we don't have outsiders and whatnot. But if you go back to just the, the definition of the word and how it met, it was about, we have each other's backs. Uh, and so when we say find your tribe, it's that, first of all, we are neurobiologically hardwired to be in connection with other human beings. Yeah, and secondly, sure. culture is everybody's responsibility. This isn't a solo journey. Mm -hmm. You have to build relationships if you're going to make, make change. And so yeah. this is the principle about seeking out people who are different than you, right? which you can't do if you're armoring up, you can't do if there's not a fearless environment, but you are seeking yeah. out people who are different than you. You are building relationships to build community mm. so that you have more people that have your back and you have, there's power in numbers to actually move change forward and to shift a culture within an organization. So that's really what the find your tribe um, principle um, is about. And again, you can see they're applicable in our personal lives as well as our professional lives. Yeah, I, I love that. For, for those of you who are watching and listening, um, you can see why I wanted to have uh, Dr. Rosie Ward on today because um, she truly is embracing being in that growth space and helping people, helping organizations, helping um, helping us really rethink how we do business, how we do family, how we do, you know, our, just our interaction. And so I, I love this. Um, what do you see as like the, what's, what's step number one? Like if I'm, if I'm a, if I'm a leader and I have a company that I'm listening to this, what do I do first? I think first we have to, uh, we always have to look at ourselves. We have to look inward. And I think we have to look at where are we on our own growth journey to, to use your language? Where are we on our leadership journey? Yeah. Where have we maybe avoided the messy middle? Where are we not doing the work? Uh, mm -hmm. And I, and I always go back to looking at, you know, where am I and am I having the impact that I want to have? Mm -hmm. If I look around my colleagues, if I look around my organization, am I having the impact I want to have? Mm -hmm. Or do I see that there's more? And and that that would be the starting place. If we just have to kind of take an inventory and look at yeah. where am I, and not with judgment, right? With curiosity, like wh where where am I doing things well? Where am I really proud of how I'm showing up? Where am I having the impact I want to have? Where am I feeling fulfilled and I'm feeling connected? Yeah. And where where am I not? Mm -hmm. And I think just doing that inventory and being able to really take a good honest look at where we are on our journey that's your starting point because that will tell you where you need to lean on to leverage maybe the strengths and things that will help you and where you're going to have to get a little cringy. Yeah. And, and I, and I think you can't, and it's going to be different for everyone. So it's really got to start with that, that reflection and that paying attention space. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Where, where, where do you see like the resistance to this? Because, you know, this, this idea is not the norm. I mean, I'm, I find, you know, the people that I talk with, I, I was just talking with a leader last week. I actually was able to have lunch like in person, which is kind of cool. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> and, and if you're listening to this, you know, in some, you know, vault, some place in the future, we're in 2020 when I'm, we're recording this and we're in the middle of a global pandemic. So we haven't been able to do that a lot, but yeah. anyway, uh, so I was, I was actually talking to this leader and um, he, you know, he's, he, he's an executive leader and he said, you know, our president just doesn't get it. He feels that if he doesn't see his people, he doesn't trust them and he, he, he doesn't know that they're getting their work done. And so he still comes from that command and control mindset. And, and I, so I, I see that still, and maybe it's, it, 
to me, and, and, and this may be just my, my vantage point, but to me, it's a, it could be a generational thing where it's an older generation who has grown up and programmed with that kind of mentality. But I mean, this isn't normal. I mean, this, let me, let me rephrase that. It hasn't been normal. I want it to be normal. So like, what kind of resistance have you seen and have you felt? Um, because surely, you know, when you buck the trends and when you try to put something new into the, into the environment, you, you know, people are going to kind of resist. So I, I, I'm curious about that. What, what have you seen? I've kind of seen it all over the map. I will say I'm so thankful for the growing conscious capitalism movement and the research yes. that they've done, because yes. I think when you have people who want to say, oh, this is soft stuff or poo poo this stuff or whatever, I go back to, okay, 15 plus years of data now on these conscious businesses that the publicly traded ones outperform the S and P 500 by a 14 to one ratio. Yeah. So there you go. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and at the 10 year mark, they were outperforming by an eight to one ratio. So the gap gets bigger over time. Right. So I, so that that's one thing to look at. I think the other thing then is like, you look at, well, what does that take? It's conscious leadership, which means self-awareness and service, not command and control. It's mm-hmm. conscious culture. Yes. It's all of our stakeholders matter, including our employees. And we've got that clear purpose. So mm-hmm. sometimes I can kind of look at that in organizations that that maybe have been in the, or leaders that have been in that old school mentality. I I do think that you can shift. I mean, look at Bob Chapman talks about his, you know, having this wake up call. Yes. And I think a lot of leaders are having wake up calls. I think it goes back to, okay. So like if, for example, you don't trust your people, well, let's talk about that. And mm-hmm. do you have clear parameters of what success looks like? You know, has that not been defined? And just because you, as we all know, just because someone's physically there doesn't mean that they're effective. So how are you, how are you defining success? You know, how are people living your values? Have you done that work? So sometimes it's rethinking of, you know, when we, we use a, in our first book, the building a house analogy. And it's like, well, you know what, maybe you've been decorating, but because your foundation's cracked, you got some like remodeling repair work you need to do. I also think sometimes I just will put it back at a person and go, how would you feel if someone, if, if your board, if your boss was checking, up, checking up on you or whatever, how would you feel? Right. Would you be motivated and excited and thrilled and wanting to give your all you would probably, you know, so I think sometimes yeah. when you, when you put it back at a person and they yeah. go, Oh God, that would yeah. feel really, really crappy. Right? right. Or if they say, well, why do I care what my people think? You say, well, because if, if your people don't care if they're not showing up the best version of themselves, they're not serving your customers. Well, what's going to happen to your business bottom line? Like you can't afford not to care about your people. So I will say this work isn't for everybody. I mean, Mm -hmm. what's nice is, you know, we don't have companies calling us up because they don't care about their people, right? Right. The the companies that call us up are like, we get this, but we're stuck. Right. Or, 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 or we see what's possible. Um, so, so I, yeah, I think, you know, there definitely is that old school mentality and, and sometimes those organizations, I think they're, they're getting over time, they're going to get weeded out because yeah. customers don't want to be, I mean, man, social media can take down a brand in the middle matter of 30 minutes these days. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, um, so, and I think like, if I am, we talk about this in the book, like if I am in an organization and my leader mm-hmm. is, um, not helpful or not in a good mindset. It's like, well, what can you do to maybe grow your influence? And what can you do to maybe have a different relationship or conversation? And and if it's truly toxic, well, then, you know, that's, that's a different path. And so I think that Mm -hmm. 
I think sometimes we give up too soon. I think sometimes we try to appeal to people with a logical um, mm. argument rather than appealing to our emotional brain and right. yeah. personalizing experiences. So I think, mm. I think there's just various ways that you can enter into those conversations and look at, and, and, and the other thing that I would say is, and I think, um, since you brought up Bob Chapman, one of the things I love that he does is as they acquire all these organizations and he gets asked regularly, what do you, what do you do with people who don't get it? Right. And he says, you love them. You don't know if they've are, you know, have PTSD, if they were treated crappy by a previous employer, if exactly. they're getting hounded and you just treat everybody the same and you anchor yourself in that lighthouse on your, are your values and your purpose. Yeah. And, and people either eventually come along or they don't, uh, they can't mm-hmm. stay in hate, but, right. but I think you have to also give, realize that people have to come to this realization on their own. And yeah. so I view it as planting a seed and mm. you just keep planting another seed and mm-hmm. you just keep planting another seed. And mm. it might take months. It might take a couple of years. Um, if you see there's possibility, you keep planting seeds and watering and fertilizing it. And if you realize it's so toxic and your well being's eroding and you're beating your head against a wall, then it's probably time to find somewhere else and let that leader, let that organization, you know, do what it's going to do, but Mm -hmm. you don't have to be taken down with it. Right. Right. Wow. I I, I love this Rosie. And and I so appreciate, I could actually talk with you for a long time because I've got so many other questions that I want to ask you. So maybe we'll have to have a part part. two. Yeah. Let's do, let's do a part two uh, (laughs) for sure. Because um, this truly is, um, the, the, the work that you're doing is really wonderful and it truly is in the growth space. I mean, you're, you're helping organizations grow emotionally, um, you know, physically being able to get them to a place where they really understand, um, what it means to rehumanize the workplace. So, um, any, any last words as we kind of close up this episode for part one, um, that you'd like to share with the audience today? Uh, what, thank you for that. And and I'm so appreciative of our conversation. And I, I just think we're all on our own journey and I think we need to let ourselves be on our journey. I think we need to growth is never easy, but it's got great reward. And I think that we just, there's just such an opportunity to be more curious about ourselves and other people to give ourselves and others a little more grace, especially during challenging times like these. Mm -hmm. And, and to just go, you know, this is where I am and where do I want to go? And what am I learning about myself? And I just think you never go wrong when you look at every opportunity to take a learning from it, learning about yourself and learning about others, um, that, that learning, that growth mindset, it Mm -hmm. is, I just feel like that that's so key and, and that that's going to help guide whatever is next for us. And even if something goes completely off the rails. If there's a good learning, like I would say the, the biggest growth, the biggest growth moments in my life have, have come from situations that sucked. Mm-hmm. Right. And you, maybe yeah. you don't see it in that moment, but looking right. back, I'm like, Oh my gosh, there's so much learning. There's a silver lining. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, and Brene says embrace the suck. And I think yes, that exactly. I was thinking um, the same thing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't, I don't wish, you know, you don't wish ill will on people. And like, no. would I, would I want to go back and have some of those horrible work experiences again? Well, no, because no, at the time it really sucked. Yeah. But 
there was a lot of growth that came from it. And so I just think if we keep looking for what's the lesson, what's the learning, what's the Mm, growth rather than leaping to judgment, right? Gosh, our world, you know, our lives would not only be better, but we could use a little bit more of that in our world. So there's, there's my soapbox. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) I love it, Rosie. That's, that's awesome. That's so good. So where can, uh, where can people um, buy your book, um, Rehumanizing the Workplace and where can they find more information about you? So Rehumanizing the Workplace is on Amazon and Barnes and Noble. So go there and it's uh, both uh, uh, hardcover, uh, paperback, as well as Kindle, electronic, whatever the electronic versions are. Yep. Okay. Clearly I don't know because I highlight and tab. Yes, Uh, you do. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, Also, so they can learn more about the work we do from a consulting and professional development standpoint at salveopartners.com. And then if they, uh, my drrosieward.com website is really more of that individual show up as a leader. I have mm. stuff in there about what I'm reading. That's where my podcast is also housed. Uh, yes. So yeah. And then obviously on Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, it's Dr. Rosie Ward and then LinkedIn Rosie Ward. So they can find me in all, all the normal channels. Awesome. Awesome. Well, I will have uh, links to all of that in the show notes. And so um, you can uh, check out the show notes and definitely go check out Rosie um, on all of those, those platforms. Definitely uh, listen to her podcast, some great stuff there. Um, Rosie, thank you again for being here. I, I really appreciate the conversation. We, we will definitely be talking again. I love it. Thank you so much for having me. And for sure, I want to have more conversations. It was great. Awesome. And thank you listeners for for, for tuning in today. Uh, And until next time, uh, stay in the growth space and be well. Wow. Rosie is so infectious. And I hope that you'll go buy her book and get working on the five keys to rehumanizing the workplace. Now, if you want a Sherpa to guide you, please reach out to me because this is the focus of my culture work. It differentiates companies and it magnifies their profitability. But more importantly, it creates a space where where people are able to show up authentically and grow in their own leadership and become the best versions of themselves, being really fulfilled in their work. And so it's exciting work, and I hope that you're excited about it too. So until next time, stay in the growth space and be well. Mm-hmm.